There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Down in the border town they call San Robles, there is a car that goes suddenly boom. In comes the DA, his name it is Vargas, and Detective Quinnin, who's like a balloon. But, but what? Vargas, he sends his wife off to a motel, hoping that somehow she's out of harm's way. Meanwhile, the evidence, it's being planted, so Quinlan can make that evil man pay. Hang on. But this poor man, he is part of a frame-up. Only this Vargas can prove it's not so. With Jaja and Marlene and Janet and Charlton, this looks to be one big ponderous show. What are you doing? Round about now, I think Max wants to Kill me, throttle me, stab me, and bury me deep. I think I'd better stop singing this recap or I will enjoy me a permanent sleep. Sleep. Yes. What was that? Touch of Evil, the musical, right here on Max Mike Movies. The series, Monochrome. The movie, Touch of Evil. This is a very vaunted motion picture. (laughs) <laughs> which our little musical tribute to our, sure. I should say, this is entirely my fault. This uh, I is had very, nothing to do with this. <laughs> this is a very vaunted motion picture, one of Orson Welles' best known. Thing is, does it stand the test of time? Is it a particularly good use of black and white filming? And are we really supposed to believe that's getting ahead mm. of ourselves? This week, standing in for Max Two-Tone Levine, we have that badger of justice... Max Two-Tone Levine. Say surprise, Max! (laughs) No. You don't deserve it after that song. I'm not doing anything for you. (laughs) I sweated and toiled over that song. It took me at least ten minutes. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm the guy with fingerprints all over my neck, that shirt collar of the streets, Mike Luce, and no, that makes no sense at all. But It does not. The important question is, does this movie make sense? And we'll get to that question right after we get to this question. Question. We were dying to know what movie, supposedly for children, should probably not be shown to a children, at least if they're children you actually like. Here's a list compiled by you. Up north, Vince gives us his take. Quote, some might say Willy Wonka shouldn't be shown to kids you like because he does sort of candy murder a bunch of kids that he, invent- <laughs> I like that that he invited to his factory in the first place. I love that phrase, candy, candy murder. murder. <laughs> but I used to read Edward Gorey's The Beastly Baby to a five-year-old at bedtime, so I am not the best to ask. There is a Quebec Christmas classic, La Guerre de Touque, The Dog Who Stopped the War, 1984, that I detest with the heat of a supernova. A bunch of kids have funny adventures building a snow fort and having a war, don't have a war, (laughs) filled with cliches and horrible music and sound effects, which ends with them killing an innocent dog by crushing and suffocating it when they destroy the fort. They bury the body in a barn and the credits roll showing us clips of all the fun we just saw. Happy holidays, kids. Chalice. Oops, that's a swear word. You might not want to say it. End quote. Oops. Uh, sorry, sorry, France and <laughs> wow. parts of Canada. That, By the uh, way, I have decided Candy Murder is now my new drag name. <laughs> I thought it was going to be your your uh, Who Cover Band name. <laughs> candy Murder. All right. That sounds like a whole lot of holiday fun. Thank you, Vince. Yeah. <laughs> candy Murder. <laughs> 
A.J. Sheems offered up, quote, Babes in Toyland, 1986. Richard oh. Mulligan's character scared the hell out of me as a kid, end quote. It's a confusing I only, movie, too. I, I only vaguely remember the earlier version and that one without the fear. But thanks, yeah. A.J. Benjamin Javi Carl's choice was Return to Oz. Yeah, maybe maybe not for kids, but I really like that movie. <laughs> thanks, Javi. Agatha Gasparoni votes for The Secret of Nim. Yeah, that oh, one has yeah. animal experimentation as a central plot point, doesn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Agatha. Also, the so-called good guy, Nicodemus, is yeah. terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Never mind the owl. Nick Hoffman said, quote, the standard has always been Bambi, end quote. Yeah, uh, there's that yeah. one scene. Bambi's mom! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Chrissy Becker's choice was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I had to oh. ask her if it was the child catcher's fault. She replied, yep, it's a child holocaust. The kids had to hide <laughs> under the floorboards. I was scarred, end quote. Well, there you go. Thanks, Chrissy. And remember, treacle tarts are all free today. <laughs> Jamie Kleinert's vote was for Black Cauldron, though Matt Reisman admits yeah. it was one of his childhood favorites. Say our entire episode on the Black Cauldron. Thanks, Jamie. Mike Weasel Dans posted, quote, I think E.T. is intended to be a family film, but holy blank did it scar me for a very long time when I was a kid, end quote. One man's Reese's Pieces is another man's nightmare. Thanks, Weez. Aaron Perez's choice was Peter Pan. No idea why, but Benjamin Carl jumped in to offer some insight. Quote, I just rewatched Peter Pan for the first time in decades and was astonished when Captain Hook full-on murdered one of his crew in cold blood for playing the accordion, end quote. Well, I, uh, well, that's a pretty good reason. <laughs> I forgot that part. Uh, thanks, Packy and Javi. Dr. Rebecca Pelkey sent us, quote, There were parts of the animated Lord of the Rings films from 1978-80 that scared the bejesus out of me. Oh, huh. and Watership Down, though I loved and still do the book, end quote. Yeah, that uh, yeah, fight. Yeah. Um, well, the, where there's a whip, there's a way. Thanks, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> Regan McStravick's vote comes from the small screen. Quote, not a movie, but the whole H.R. Puffin stuff show scared the crap out of me as a kid. And really? not specifically Witchy Poo. I actually barely even remember the character. But for some reason, I just found the anthropomorphized hats to be creepy as hell. And I had to suffer wait, through that, it because I like... Wait, 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 wait. Because yeah. I liked the cartoons and shows that went with it. Land of the Lost, Sigmund the Sea Monster, so on and so forth. Somehow, oh. I didn't find those scary at all, so go figure. And... End quote. Yeah, weird indeed. Oh. I think Max's protest there was, as mine was going to be, that I think you're remembering Lidsville, although I can see how H.R. Puffin stuff is a gateway drug to Lidsville. And yeah, yeah. The trauma is connected. But, and uh, the Sid and Marty Croft diverse. Yeah, but re if you do remember correctly, as we do, it is the cuckoo kookiest. So it thanks, is. Regan. <laughs> and the kikikikiest. <laughs> Matt Reisman's back with, quote, Roger Rabbit, possibly. Both kind huh. of risque and Christopher Lloyd's character is terrifying, end quote. I, I gotta say, the, the, the scene where he kills the shoe, yeah. I never thought that was for children. Well, I never thought of Roger Rabbit as a kid's movie, but I can totally see why it would be thought of that way. And yeah, uh, yeah Lloyd is kind of horrifying in that film, yeah. especially when his voice gets real high. But, thanks, Matt. Val Coons, who is a listener and has no jokes associated with her, stated, quote, <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't seen Dark Crystal in here yet. Wonderful movie, but a lot darker than the average kid could or should see. I'd say Bambi and The Lion King, too. Five-year-olds really don't need to see death, end quote. But but Disney is famous for throwing characters off buildings <laughs> and other tall things. And murdering the main 
character's parents. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Val. Kate Warner doubles the vote for Watership Down. Quote, I was not prepared for that as a kid. End quote. I agree, yeah. Kate. Is anyone? Thanks. Adam Mark was next with, quote, The Brave Little Toaster. The toaster's dream where the evil uh. clown emerges, whispers, run, and chases the toaster is a weird interlude, adds nothing to the story, is never referenced again, and serves no <laughs> foreshadowing function. It terrified me as a child, end quote. Yeah, you got my vote, Adam, but for different reasons, as we'll see. Thanks. Dave? Dave! Has an interesting insight he shared, quote, True enough, I can't really think of any that are inappropriate, nor do I understand why any of the films identified here are necessarily inappropriate. Some kids are more sensitive than others, but as I was raised, television was never appropriate for kids, and the silver screen was always acceptable. I was 10 years old when I tried to get into The Exorcist, and it would have worked except the movie was sold out, so the staff were watching for us, end quote. The Uh Exorcist, you heard it here first, not for kids. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Thanks, that's, Dave. That's fair. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But Yeah, The Exorcist. Wow. Yeah, well, it does have those cartoon... Ca- no, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Weasel Yosef Forsyth typed, quote, Iron Giant. Its ending is sad. There are also German and Russian ones that I vaguely remember that were absolutely terrifying because most German and Russian children's stories involve death, curses yeah. from old gods, insanity, or all three. Also, Deadpool. Charles and I went to see that four times opening weekend, thanks to my love of Wade. But one of the times, a dude brought his six-year-old son with him. I what? figured it That's out quick, though. an R-rated though. movie. <laughs> I think he figured it out quick, though. But yeah, who brings your kindergartner to see an R-rated Deadpool movie, end quote? Well, yeah. Uh, it, it was about a comic book superhero, right? Oh, thanks, Weasel. Lastly, Henry Clay seconded the vote for The Secret of Nim. Thanks, Henry. Wow, that uh, was a lot I- of answer. Yeah, hang on. There are a couple you missed. How? They were done. Uh, they were responded to me, not to you, on Facebook. And uh, you didn't. Um, okay, fine, fine. I, th- I assumed you would have found them if you no, had done I your didn't. due diligence. <laughs> Did you call me Gilligan? Yeah, your due Gilligan. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, by Susan. All means. Susan Cassidy also oh. agrees with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I don't really? know if our spawn have ever seen past the point that the child catcher appears. Up to that point is fine. Past that point, shudder. Seth Jacobs, a first-time commenter, Poltergeist. Um, Was that actually supposed to be a children's movie? There's a kid in it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Isher Duarte uh, has another vote for Bambi. Rachel Teller has a vote for Watership Down. I actually received it as a Christmas present as a child. Black Cauldron and the ending of Old Yeller. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And Martha Armstrong Gray gives us the Disney contingent, Lion King and Bambi. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for all those extra answers. And uh, yeah. I guess now I have to look at Max's Facebook page. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was a lot of answers. Yes, thank and you. And it seems that we're all scarred in one way or another. Uh, but oh, what's yeah. your scar of choice, Max? Well, we kind of already know this uh, because we did an episode about this movie uh, Yellow Submarine scared the living crap out of me when I was five years old. Yeah. Some of the Blue Meanies would, would again, I think that was just me because yeah. I've never heard of anyone being at all traumatized by that movie. Other than that, I got to go with Return to Oz. I really like that movie. It's not for children. <laughs> Dorothy gets electroshock therapy. <laughs> 
or is about to get it in in the uh, opening like 20 minutes nothing wrong with the electroshock therapy but for small children in the early 19th part of the 20th century yikes yeah it uh it goes downhill from there <laughs> yeah remember there's queen mommy whose big thing is well she takes the heads off people and then just puts them on her own shoulders and the gnome king <laughs> is pretty scary too and the wheelers the wheelers, I think, are scarier than Gnome King. The Gnome King, I, all he does is turn people into ornaments, but it's mm. apparently yeah, a lot more faithful to two of the books. It's not one book. I think it's yeah, Ozma it's of Oz, and I forget. The, I think it's Return uh, of Oz. I think the Marvelous Land of Oz. Yeah. I'm not sure. But, but uh, yes. And of course, um, you know, what, what gets me with uh, the Gnome King is when he starts speaking the charm of making. and no, no, That's a, that's Excalibur. <laughs> it's still Nicole Williamson. That may be. Well, he was in Columbo, too. <laughs> yeah. As what about as, you? Well, Return to Oz is an obvious one. Yeah. It's an easy one. Uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang surprised me that we got it got one vote. Never mind two. Uh-huh. I loved that ki- that film as a child. Oh, I yeah. had the record with all the songs, and I wore it out at least once. I had the little corgi car. Yeah, the uh, you know the the uh, the child catcher is pretty creepy. I guess, but he's not to me. He wasn't scary. He was just creepy. And I saw the film when it came out, so I uh-huh. must have been like what four or five. And I just I don't know. The big thing for me is when Susan said, oh, once they get to the child catcher, well, you've already gone past the intermission. You're like almost two-thirds of the way through the film at that point. But whatever. Uh, And I just found that interesting. Also, Brave Little Toaster. Not so much for the clown. The ending of that film is so depressing. It is. Like, it's not that it's sad. It's depressing. It is a film that will make you never want to throw anything out ever again. I'm surprised it didn't raise a generation of hoarders. I know. It's it's like, it's kind of a Disney film, but not really. It's yeah. I think it was distributed by, but not made by. I forget. Yeah. And it's, it's well done, but it's just like, you sit there and look at that one appliance that's sort of barely hanging on by a thread, and you're like, oh, I should really get rid of that thing. It doesn't work. If you see this movie, you'll be like, I must save it. <laughs> it has. It's a dishwasher. It doesn't have feelings, but yeah. So, thank you once again. We always love to hear your side of things, so much so that we want to hear more. This week, we're wondering, Orson Welles, yay or nay? This can be as a director actor or both is he worth all the talk or not let us know and we'll give you bumpy bucks the cryptocurrency that never stays out late and we'll send them to you just as soon as they exist but for now we have this the facts budget eight hundred twenty eight thousand dollars a thousand dollar thing again i don't know what that kind of money that is what's a thousand dollar i don't know what's one of those foreign numbers yeah take 2.2 2.2 million, so that's pretty good. Though, um... It is? Most of the money was made in Europe, not in the U.S. Oh. Huh. We almost didn't get Janet Leigh. The salary offer was low enough that her agent turned Wells down flat. Wells, thinking ahead, sent a letter to Leigh personally, telling her how much he looked forward to working with her. Pissed off, she overrode her agent and signed on. Good for her. Mercedes By the way, isn't McCain- it Lee? Is it Lee or Lay? I don't know. I think it's Lee just because Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, I guess it makes sense. It's spelled Lay, but like Lay bracket, but whatever. Yeah. Mercedes McCambridge is only here because of a lunch date. While while eating with Wells, he asked her to be in a scene. She jumped at the chance, even though it meant Orson would be her barber. Truly. He Ooh. cut her hair himself. Oh, that's what leather, happened to her. Threw her in a leather jacket and directed her one line, 
I want to watch. <laughs> yeah, which is one of the more disturbing lines of the movie. <laughs> yeah. No, really, it's a fat suit. Wells supposedly donned quite the padding and makeup for this role. That's huh. what the man said. That's what he said, all right. There are two versions of this film. The original studio cut, 1958 version, is the one we're all seeing now. But when Wells found out what happened in his absence, he'd gone off to work on his next film before editing was completed, he wrote out directions on exactly how he wanted the film to work. That letter was used in 1998 to make the final or director's cut, and that cut is available, but only on Blu-ray. The film has a very different feel to it, though if you're fans of the French film movements of the 60s, it might seem derivative. Turns out it's the other way around. This premiered at the Brussels World Fair of 1958 and was seen by two very soon-to-be-influential directors, Francois Truffaut, as seen in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Jean-Luc Godard, captain of the USS Enterprise-D. <clears throat> Wait, what? It's true. Wells uh, wanted... No, it isn't. <laughs> Wells wanted to shoot in Tijuana, but the studio said no go. So instead, it was filmed at the then rather rundown Venice, California, except for the apartment scene, all of which is shot on location. And uh, having been to Venice within the last five or six years, it's um, not all that run up yet. Anyway. Oh, dear. Yeah. Marlene Dietrich was there simply because she wanted to work with Wells. Even the oh. studio execs didn't know she was going to be <laughs> there. As a favor, she agreed to appear for scale. When the studio oh. found out, they decided to plaster her name on the credits, which in, which resulted in them having to pay her a good deal more. So, Oops. Well done, producers. The dialogue was written, well, originally by Wells, but according to Lee... He wanted everyone involved, so during the two-week rehearsal, actors were encouraged to rewrite their own dialogue. Hmm. I'm not even supposed to be here today! <laughs> Wells was hired as an actor, not as director. Charlton Heston thought otherwise, which is why he signed on. To keep the ape happy, Wells took over directing tours, <laughs> <for his> too. <laughs> damn dirty ape. Another guest star, Zsa, Zsa Gabor, was... Barely a guest, never mind a star. Yeah. She has one line and is on screen for about 10 seconds. Yeah. Heston admits that his not trying to do any kind of accent for his supposedly Mexican character, we'll get back to that, in this film as being one of his biggest acting mistakes ever. Oh, how he pulled this out of a long list. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> Speaking of Heston playing a Mexican... That was Wells' idea. He was originally oh. supposed to be white. There's a scene that contradicts this in, of all places, the movie Ed Wood, where Wood supposedly meets Wells in a bar. Oh, Wells, yeah. Wells is complaining about Heston playing a Mexican and the studios recutting his movies. This movie is better known as a B-movie as it premiered after the top-billed film, The Female Animal. Oh, it was a sure. double feature. Yep. Yeah, the female. You know that film. It's a. Oh yeah. That movie that, with the guy. The animal the, that's female, right? Right. Yes. And uh, this is the last U.S. film directed by Orson Welles. And that is the last bit of trivia we have for this film. Unless Max, you want to shoehorn your way in here with anything you might know. <laughs> no, nope. I, I think that uh, pretty much covers it. Oh damn. Well, what? Well, oh, although I will say. Uh, I started to watch, I have a copy of this film, it was a rip from a DVD, I started to watch it, and I see this crawl that says, in 1957, well, and I realized, oh, this is the one they recut. Oh, you watched the recut No, version. I didn't. Oh. I figured we should watch the same version, so I went and watched it and rented it on a streaming service. I see. 
Yeah, See, I wish I had had so access. So it does have it. We, it. It's out there, and it wasn't just Blu-ray. It was on a DVD. Was it? Okay. Because when I looked for it, like, maybe it's only available now on Blu-ray. But maybe, uh, that, Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I actually did want to see the other cut just in case because, well, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. But now I can't delay any longer. It's nope. uh, time Movie for time. The plot. <laughs> yep. Deep breath. Yeah. Charlton Heston plays Vargas, a U.N., or is it a Mexican narcotics officer? He and his wife, Janet Leigh, are crossing back over to the U.S. border from Mexico when they witness the assassination of a local building contractor by car bomb. Out of his jurisdiction, Vargas must bend to the will of a rather well-known and shady American cop, one Hank Quinlan, as played by Orson Welles. Quinlan has a long record of catching his man and getting confessions. Odd that most of these criminals are Mexican. So odd indeed. Aye, chihuahua. Vargas thinks there's something fishy going on, not least of which because he's rattling the cages of the local Mexican drug lords. Quinlan's sure he can catch the man and more or less steers the case, though Vargas is allowed to hang around and occasionally contribute. Vargas sends his wife to a motel in Death Valley, or, well, somewhere equally as remote to keep her safe. Seems she's been approached by some of the local bad guys with a message for Vargas, and that message is, beware. (laughs) They even try to frame her in a bit of adultery that goes nowhere. With her safely out of the way, overseen by twitchy motel keeper Dennis Weaver, she's more than safe. Uh, Wait, she's less than safe. That local drug lord, he sends his gang of toughs out to keep an eye on Vargas' wife and eventually try and make it look like she's a drug user. Thing is, this isn't just the drug lord's idea. Quinlan is tired of Vargas interference and decides the best way to shut him up is to frame his wife for drug use and, heck, while he's at it, he can kill off the drug lord with whom he's working and blame it on her as well. Things don't go as planned. Vargas finds out and, enlisting the aid of Quinlan's right-hand man, he tries to tape a confession with a wired mic and remote tape recorder. Quinlan can't face ruin and scandal, so tries one last time to turn the tables on Vargas. There's a shootout. Twice. Guilt is the winner, but on whose side is guilt? Quinlan's or Vargas's? Only we know for sure. The film. And you, if you've seen the movie. (laughs) And Orson Welles and everyone who's in it. And anyone who's actually, yeah. Right, so, um, Touch of Evil, it has quite the cast in it. Yeah, but first off, I do want to point out, as we see at the beginning, it says it is a universal international film. If something is universal, <laughs> doesn't that just automatically make it international? Yeah. We have to d- address this. No, we don't. It's the Chihuahua in the room. Stop saying Chihuahua. No, I eat Chihuahua. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you. Uh, to our Mexican listeners, please excuse Sorry. Max. In Sorry. this and many other problems. <laughs> let's just go right okay. for the for the neck, shall we? Yeah, let's. Charlton Heston. Oh, boy. <laughs> Trump, now look, it's it was bad enough in the Ten Commandments that we're supposed to believe he's Jewish. <laughs> well, maybe the blue eyes were something of a giveaway. But okay, but Mexican? My first note of the film is, wait, Heston's supposed to be a neck Mexican? Does Heston ever play a white guy? Heston, I looked this up, by the way. He is descended from the Scots... And the Norwegians with a little <laughs> Canadian. Th- he says literally as white as it is possible to get. Now, wait, Max, I, I need you yeah. to be actually very serious about this. Okay. Do you know for a fact, a fact, 
that the lost tribe of Israel didn't end up in Norway. Ah, uh, well, you got me there. I can't uh, actually. <laughs> I can't prove that there were not, in fact, Jewish Vikings. I, I don't know, but. That still has nothing to do with the shoe polished mustache that Charlton Heston is wearing in this film. What is it with the mustaches in that? Because you know, uh, Uncle Joe Grande has that has that little I don't know John Waters (laughs) Sharpie mustache. Yeah. By the oh yeah, I mean never mind. Okay, Charlton Heston I think is the most egregious. But what about Uncle Joe? Because Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe Grande, who is very supposed to be Mexican, is played by Akim <laughs> Tamerov. Well, that's who, a Mexican name. Who is Armenian. <laughs> I gotta admit, um, and this is the reason I used uh, Orson Welles as the center part of this week's poll question. Uh, what was he thinking? I don't know. I mean, Did okay, Charlton you can argue that, the, that maybe the, the cutting or the editing of this could have been better, but the casting is so odd. Well, and Charlton Heston deciding not to do any kind of Hispanic accent. And in some ways, I do applaud him for this. Although, Because yeah, imagine start- what would have happened. What would well, Imagine Charlton Heston trying to do a Mexican accent. It's Speedy Gonzalez. We know where yeah, it's going. It would That's have where been. it's going. But yeah. here's the thing. The only reason we know he's Mexican is because they keep saying Vargas, Vargas, Vargas. And otherwise, we would never assume for an instant that Charlton Heston has ever been to Mexico. Even when they're in Venice, I don't think he's that near to Mexico. (laughs) Yeah, Orson Welles or uh, Captain Quinlan always pointing, ah, this foreigner, this Mexican, this foreigner. Well, and By the way, have I mentioned I'm racist? <laughs> Let's look at those two together. So, on oh one hand, boy. we have Charlton Heston not being Mexican, but deciding that I know instead of doing an accent, I'll just mumble a lot. And I couldn't understand him half the time he was talking. Yeah, uh, he, he's very hard to understand. Not to mention the fact you don't put Charlton Heston next to Orson Frigging Wells and I have mean, them act. Because, on- all right, I mean, this is giving away some of my answer to next <laughs> week's poll question, but Orson Wells can act. Charlton yes. Heston cannot. <laughs> I I never knew where he was coming from. Mm. Like I don't, and and that's a, that's sort of an overall note I had was that we have no, there is no real depth to much of the performances here. Orson Welles is probably the best of the bunch. Yeah, Janet Lee acts very scared, but her character's an idiot. I'm sorry. Yeah. She is a moron. It's like, uh, one, yeah, what is it, though, when, what's his name? Uh, the one she, you know, The one she calls Poncho. That's his character name. They don't give him another oh. name. Yeah, isn't that nice, though? Yeah, because yeah. even the uncle calls her on that. Why Why do you call him Poncho? That's a, well, for laughs. Ouch! Yeah. Yeah, she's like, hi, I'm Poncho. This this thug in a leather jacket says, here, you gotta come with me. She goes, okay! He doesn't even say it, because he supposedly doesn't speak English. He hands her a note, and she's like, yeah, oh, I'll go with you. You seem trustworthy. I'll go with you. I just witnessed a car bombing, and my husband is the DA trying to shut down the local crime ward. I'll wander off without telling anybody, no problem. Yeah. And of course, when she... Up, when she goes to the motel and she's the only guest, Janet, come on, you know what happens to you when you go to a motel and you're the only guest. Well, At least fair, she didn't take a shower. She doesn't. She won't know this for another two years, unfortunately. <laughs> 
But yeah, her character is, is an idiot. I just don't understand any of the motivation for any of the things. She, and, oh, I'll sit out the movie over here in Death Valley while you guys get on with things. And, and then the, Vargas the, is an idiot and, and also yeah. arguably the worst husband on earth. Yeah. I mean, like, he okay. I'll protect my wife by having somebody I don't really know. Oh, I guess he's a cop, so he's trustworthy. Although he works for that guy. I'm sorry, did you just roll him out of an alley? Uh, He's looking kind of rough around the edges there, which is fine. Except here's the problem I have with his character. So so Captain Hank Quinlan is supposedly a very well-respected policeman who's caught tons of criminals and is is irrefutable and impeachable. Brilliant detective, yeah. And he honestly looks like the day after. I don't yeah. know what kind of time he had, good or bad. <laughs> it's a day he looks, after he something. does. He looks like he just came off a week long bender, he and he looks, looks that way all the time. He literally looks like, like he had the day before. He was a famous Shakespearean actor. Woke up and somebody told him he was Tor Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, we're supposed to believe he's been on the wagon. He's been sober for twelve years. Yeah, I'm looking at him going, no, no, he hasn't. No, it's just. I, I don't... The only way I could understand his character... Because we find... Spoiler. If you haven't seen this film, it's over 60 years old. I yeah. don't... It's a classic. It's, he's supposedly... His, the evidence he's given is... You can't even think about questioning it. Everything is locked yeah. and tied tight. So, technically, he's still at the top of his career. His wife died a number of years ago. Uh, we're not exactly sure how. There's Oh, no. We know to, how. She says she was strangled... By oh, right, somebody right. in in a factory, he assumed it was this quote half breed. Right, very nice. You. In other but words, of it was share. <laughs> yeah, well, that is all she ever heard. Yeah, although that was and, a totally yeah, so she thing. was murdered by someone. Right, and so or she now, hanged herself to get away from him. And of course, that I can understand why that would send him into you know a downward spiral. Except that apparently, yeah. work is not part of that because up till now, nobody ever questions him. Yeah. And when Charlton Heston is clever, yeah. I, can't, I can't finish that sentence. No, you can't. <laughs> How did this guy have a job? I don't. Get I don't it. know. And I'm, and they, half the time they say he's appointed by the UN, and then the other half of the time they say he's from it's Mexico. It's not clear who it, he works for or what he does. He's no, part of a, that, a narcotics. Uh, uh, task force. Yeah, they're trying to clear up Mexico. Spoiler, doesn't work. Nope. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, whatever. Uh, and then, of course, the stupidity doesn't end with the Heston-Lee duet. Because later on, we see Orson Welles decides that he wants to... Uh, he's been working suddenly with uh, Uncle... What's his name? Uncle Grandy. Uh, Uncle Joe. Who's gotten him drunk, which I guess convinces him to work with the enemy. <laughs> And he decides that he's going to get rid of Uncle Grandy, and he's going to make it look like um, he's going to make it look like Janet Lee's overpowered him and strangled uh, him. At the same time, <laughs> Janet Lee is supposed to be in a drug-induced stupor, but still is strong enough and competent enough to strangle him from behind, <laughs> leave him draped over her bed, and then collapse on the bed. Yeah. Sure. Why well, not? Yeah. It, wow. Criminal mastermind here. And the thing that's supposed to be the, the, I guess, the fulcrum to get her to do this is initially the evil of Reefer. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah. supposedly, there's heroin involved. Uh, but, of course, they don't actually inject her with heroin. And it is equally simple to prove that she wasn't injected with heroin. Um, now, and I she's passed know out. How, how they figure, it's like, 
at, at the cop is saying they didn't even use heroin. It was just that truth serum stuff. Yeah, sodium pentothal. They shot her full of sodium pentothal. Okay, first of all, that's dangerous as hell. Right. You know, if you get the dosage on sodium pentothal wrong, it is not a good thing. No. So it's not like, oh, she's fine now. No, I bet she isn't. <laughs> well, and she's at the motel with Twitchy Weaver there. McLeod! What and, was with McLeod there? Um, you know, I hate to say this, but he's one of the few characters that actually had any depth to him. Because I, he was obviously yes. very backwards, really interested in Janet Lee, which, to be fair, who wouldn't be? Yeah, seriously. But also, obviously, had no idea what to do. Like, he was afraid of even contemplating doing anything with her. So there was some... You could see the thought put into his character. Yeah, I think he you was get, a little cartoonish, but... A little... I mean, you get the idea that this guy was someone's special needs cousin who needed a job. Right. And let's face it, the hotel, which we don't even see a road in front of, yeah. probably isn't that busy most of the time. Well, she is the only customer. Yeah, and it's like, why did you pick there? Okay, whatever. But then these, this group of toughs show up, and we know they're toughs because, A, they're all wearing black leather mo motorcycle jackets, and, B, they're on the reefer, which the effects of which range from disinterest to um, pretty much reefer madness. <laughs> yeah. Play faster! Play faster! Yeah, this is, <laughs> faster. you got to remember, this is 1958. This is peak reefer madness nonsense, yeah. when nobody really knew what it was. They just knew it was evil and associated with ethnic people. Yeah. And as we all now know, marijuana, Mary Jane, if you will, uh, all it does is make you think Scooby-Doo is the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> and, is, well, it also makes you eat an awful lot of snacks. I have, mm, Having tried it, uh-oh, I admitted that. Oh, no, <laughs> it's legal now, remember? I will or say, it does give me the munchy something awful. <laughs> I, <laughs> I will just sit there and chow down and laugh at Scooby-Doo, which is really all I want. This um, is one of those movies, by the way, I know it's a tangent, but it did not do any real research in the drug culture, because no. at one point, someone says, you know what marijuana is? I think, yes. You know what Mary Jane is? Yes, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's slang for marijuana. What is wrong with you? Uh, who knows? Um, yeah, so, yeah, that was, that was pretty... We're talking about the actors. Yep. What is Marlena Dietrich doing? Um, Why? A gypsy? Are you sure? <laughs> no. <laughs> and am I crazy, or was she in brown face? Because Marlena Dietrich tell. is very pale, and she looks rather darker skinned in this movie than I've ever seen. Well, I mean, let's face it, this film could easily have shown up in our whitewashing series here, yeah. and series on whitewashing. Yeah. And um, she's I, Marlena Dietrich. First off, at this in this movie, she's 57. Right. And I'm still looking at her going, damn, she oh, is still gorgeous. Well, and everyone wanted to work with Orson Welles because he was, as far as actors were concerned, Hollywood didn't feel this way, but as far as actors were concerned, he was an actor's director. Yeah. And to be fair, apparently all the rehearsals they did were not common for films. A lot of times you'd get like a day or two, and they did two weeks before they started filming anything. Wow. And he does let them rewrite their dialogue. And... When I can understand it, I don't generally have a problem with the dialogue, and if it was an actor that's good enough, Charlton Heston isn't, I think that you can trust them to add something to their character. Yeah. But, I, you know, I can't tell, because I, I didn't find the dialogue outstanding one way or the other. It was it was fine. Um, we have a couple of... We have literally Zsa, Zsa Gabor. You can blink and miss her. 
she I almost, don't even count that as a performance. She's more isn't. like a, uh, you know, hi. It's like barely a cameo. She steps in and goes, Oliver, and that's it. She's yeah. gone. <laughs> that is not what she says, but I don't even remember it's what she enough. says, except I think she said, no, I didn't even know him. And we're done. Or By she the said, way, no stars. <laughs> since when are there guest stars in movies? That's how it is in the credits. Yeah. Guest starring Marlena Dietrich and Zsa Zsa Gabor. And I thought, by the way, that was really incredibly generous of them to put Zsa Zsa next to Marlena's <laughs> name. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, whatever. And there's there's other people in here that you know are of you know middling parts. Um, yeah. I suppose our old buddy Joseph Cotton is the coroner. Yeah, and I didn't even notice him. Like, yeah, I, he went right over my head. I know he went right he, past. Yeah, it's it's whatever. I, we might as well also talk about this film is fairly racist. No, this film is very racist. Mm. Not only do we have whitewashing going oh, on, boy. potential brown face going on, but of course every person of Mexican heritage in this film is bad. Yeah, there's no like and corrupt book, or sleazy. Yeah. And in the book, except for Charlton Heston, who's not Mexican, <laughs> in the book everything was reversed. So it was actually Vargas was wasn't wasn't uh, Mexican. He was white, and his wife uh. was Mexican, uh. which might have made more sense. I don't. I, well, yeah. I can tell. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, th- th- we've got a big racism problem here, and I suppose you could say it's the fifties, but I don't want to excuse it. The the especially when the half breed comment shows up. Because that's often used against Native Americans, and I, we certainly don't need any of that crap. We certainly don't need it against people of Hispanic nationality. It's just like, whatever. Um, if they had used it only as a means to show the racism of the characters in the film, I might have understood it, but they don't even do that. The, like, they do show, like, Quinlan is, it's very clear he doesn't like Mexicans, he doesn't like ethnic people at all. But I think he doesn't like anybody who encroaches on his territory, so he's yeah. using it as an excuse. But because uh, of course, and the fact he keeps calling Sanchez boy, yeah, which is a diminutive for anybody who's not white, yeah, which is obnoxious. Um, and this is, I will say, there is one scene where the toughs, which includes a bunch of, I'm gonna go out and say it. I think they're meant to be biker lesbians because that's what you know. Yeah. That's are. They show up to take down Janet Leigh, who weighs, I'm going to guess, 80 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. And it that still takes about six really, of them. That, re- that seems really scary. Yeah. That's disturbing. Apparently that wasn't acting. Apparently Janet Leigh was terrified while they were shooting that scene. But uh, you don't know what's going to happen. It looks, quite honestly, like it's going to end up being a lot worse than it is. And if it yeah. wasn't the 50s, it probably would have been. And I don't mean by what they show. I mean what actually happens. Because it turns out all that happens is they grab her and drug her. That's it. Yeah, that's it. But you think they're going to assault her. And yes. you think it's going to get really horrible. Yes. And so they take the only major female character in the film and use her as part of rape. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Me, you, Orson. As, as a plot point. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, well, no, actually, let's get to the cinematography, because that's part okay. of what we do in this show. This was a really interestingly shot film. The opening shot is three and a half minutes of one take, and it involves not only a bunch of walking, but driving and a camera crane on a truck. And it's actually really cool. The opening, yeah. and this is one of those classic scenes, and apparently they... They did it so many times, they had literally one more chance before the sun came up because one guy, the border guard, kept blowing his lines. Oh, and apparently Orson said to the guy, 
I don't care what you say. Do not say, I'm sorry, Mr. Wells will dub you in later. And that's the take <laughs> they used. And it's a really cool opening scene. Orson really likes close-ups in this yeah. film. Yeah. And, he likes them in a lot of them. But this one especially. Um, if you like to count pores, this is your <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of camera right in people's faces. Yeah, and i got to say, it's not doing himself any favors. I kind of admired that because there's he's he wasn't stupid. He must have known how bad he would look on camera. Yeah. And I think he's doing that on purpose. He's showing how dissipated and ruined Quinlan mm. is. And I think that works really well. Quinlan visually is the most interesting character. He's yes. the most interesting to look at. He's well. horrible to look at, but he's fascinating. <laughs> when you're looking at Heston, you're staring at that mustache it's waiting like, for it to cut off. <laughs> oh, dude. Did, did you, like, just drink a lot of molasses or something? Is that what's on your upper oh, lip? You, sh you shouldn't chew on those cheap pens. <laughs> <laughs> so unconvinced. And he must have gotten it in his eyebrows, too, apparently. Yeah, and his hair. It's just, yeah. And he's all yeah. slicked back because otherwise the, the hair dye would look even worse than it already does. But when I looked at the way the film was shot, the close-ups, the cutting and stuff, and I know some of this was done against Wells' wishes, I can totally see where that French, I don't remember what it was called, the French New Wave or whatever it was called of the yeah. 60s. Yeah, French New Wave. And Cinema Verite and all that stuff, I can yep. totally see where this was coming from. And I, of course, thought it was European-inspired, and it turns out it was the other way around. So I actually like the way that it shot. I like that it shot mostly at night and the fact that he shot almost everything in downtown Venice, and it's a, it is sadly a kind of rundown looking place. Apparently it doesn't look all that much different today. Ouch. But I think that that really works. And the city, town, whatever, is very much a character. Now, of course, it's made to look a little worse because it's supposed to be Tijuana, which is in Mexico. But yeah, whatever. Well, so, it's, and they, they emphasize it's a border town. Right. And he, he's not kidding. Border towns can be very rough. Yeah, but who run Border Town? <laughs> well, that's obviously Master Blaster. But <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the cinematography? And I thought some. I thought a lot of it looked really cool, especially mm -hmm. the night shots. That's hard to do without either being impossible to see what's going on or dull. Yeah, I gotta say, he made the town look kind of like a back lot to me. Isn't that weird? It's yeah, a real town, but it it's a real place. Fake. I knew I knew that, but it looks like if you pushed one of the buildings, it would fall over. Or if you go, if you if the camera can see more than about a block, it's not there. I, I and some of the close-ups, like the way he lingers or the way the camera lingers on Marlena Dietrich's face, is amazing mm. because it's Marlena Dietrich and she's got those eyes, and she knows how to just do so much with just her face because you know she started in the silent films. Well, she's got Betty Davis eyes. She has Marlena Dietrich <laughs> eyes, which are even better. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, though, that a lot of the close-ups aren't entirely in focus. Yeah, that, that was an odd part. Yeah, it's. I don't think that was a choice. I think it just wasn't. Mm. And it made me really wish they were. Unless we're supposed to be looking through the bleary eyes of Quinlan? Uh, I'm not sure. It was. I, I thought it might, might have been the print, but... yeah. There's also something about the performances, and other we we sort of moved on from acting, but um, there's a lot of overdubbing in this film, yeah, and it, it really hurts the performances. It's very apparent. Yeah, 
And it was done a lot. It's just a lot of times you're, you don't know it's going on. In this film, sadly, it's not one of those films. Yeah, you uh, can tell. And it adds to a kind of overall slipshod feel to the film, which is one of the reasons I really would like to see the other cut, because I can't tell how much of that feeling is from the editing. Some of the edit, I gotta say, I don't know if it's the editing or if it is the performance. Janet Lee, who is usually pretty good, her character shifts back and forth a lot. In the beginning, she's kind of she's got this kind of tough, wise ass uh, attitude. Yeah. She's not afraid of Uncle Joe Grande, even though he's basically kidnapped her. Well, except when she his- tells him she is. <laughs> yeah, except you don't entirely believe it until later. Yeah, she's just mouth, and she's mouthing off, and she's not like cowering, and then she just falls apart, and then it's mostly just Mike, Mike. Well, never mind her decisions. Like, well, I can't get in touch with him. I guess I'll just stay here. Yeah, why doesn't she try to leave? Didn't she? Well, of course, she doesn't seem to have a car, and she is in the middle of nothing. But she didn't even try to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, she didn't try to get out. She didn't try to go out a window. Well, no, at one point she does. And yeah, somebody's standing there. Yeah. I think it's one of the motorcycle lesbians. Yeah, why she stayed there so long, I don't know. Well, she doesn't do anything. She's yeah. just literally there to try and get in touch with her husband, or so her husband can try and get in touch with her. Yeah. Like, her character just becomes, until she's being used as a a plot. Yeah, she goes into damsel in distress mode, pretty much. Yeah. And it's a shame, because the character was much more interesting when she was, you know, you know, snarling at people, or, you know, talking back to her husband, or... Being something other than a 50s housewife. Yeah. And this was a adaptation. It was a novel called Badge of Evil. They changed uh-huh. the title, which initially Orson didn't like, but apparently it turned out being one of his favorite titles later on. He, he got uh-huh. used to it, I guess. And apparently the plot, from what I looked at, bears a resemblance to this, but uh-huh. Orson rewrote most of the plot. And... I can't, the the old plot is actually fairly convoluted as well, and I can't tell if it would have been better in its original form, but it more or less works out the same way. I have to admit, when they are doing this final scene, and there's the radio microphone that's planted on the, now it was bad cop, now good cop, Yeah, I'm just like, they had this then? Okay. And I didn't realize, because they don't show you. Yeah. That there's a tape recorder built in. So instead they're going, why are you bothering? It's just yeah. going to be your word against his. And they don't tell you there's a tape recorder. And I had a note about that. And then I had to cross it off because they finally show you, oh, no, in this giant valise that he's carrying <laughs> around with an antenna sticking out of it. Oh, there is a tape recorder. Okay, so now we know the scene actually makes sense. Because up to that point, it doesn't. I got to say, though, he's he has to be within so many feet. This is worse yeah. than Bluetooth. <laughs> yeah. But the the partner cop to Quinlan is walking with him and not at all suspiciously going, hey, so why did we fake all that evidence all those years? Yes, if you get the feeling, partly Quinlan is very drunk. Right. And I think that's why it takes him so long to suddenly fi- figure out what's going on. But they keep, they're walking and they walk over this bridge, over yeah. this canal, and apparently Charlton Heston Vargas has to keep following and he decides the best way to do this is to go into the water. So we're all yeah. sitting there waiting for that thing to short out or yeah. to drop it or Yep, that's whatever. what I was waiting for. And also, I'm thinking, Vargas, have you ever used one of these before? Because it doesn't occur to him to turn down the speaker because <laughs> Quinlan notices there's what everything he's saying is echoing under the bridge a half second later. Right. So, yeah, Vargas proves that they married for stupid. 
Apparently that's what drew, drew them together was, yeah, hey, is your yeah. IQ under 100? So is mine. Let's get hitched. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and then we get a shootout, sort of. Which sort is of. Fine. I mean, he shoots his buddy cop because there's going to be a problem. And then he has taken Vargas's gun, which Vargas put in his briefcase and left with his wife for reasons uh. that... Whatever. I always wondered, did she, if she knew about the gun, why wasn't she grabbing that and shooting these guys who were attacking her? She doesn't see him put it in the valise. Oh, okay. we see it. They make sure that we see where the gun goes, but mm. we, she doesn't know it's there as far unless he regularly puts it there. But there's no reason for us to assume that. Yeah. So who knows? But then the gun gets pulled out, and now Quinlan is like, "Well, I'm going to make it look like uh, I was. It was self defense." And it's like uh, Vargas isn't armed. And there's yeah. a dead guy up there. Uh, how is this going? To, I don't know. And I don't you've know. got the, the dead guy's blood all over you. There's that too. And then yeah. he goes, tries to wash it off in the filthy canal. And uh, yeah, and then there's another shootout because it turns out that the bad spoiler, the bad cop's not dead, and he shoots. His last move somehow is yeah. to. It's a very Hollywood. Oh, I have one drop of blood left. Bam! And then now, he collapses. Now I'm dead. Yeah. 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 So then the police show up and. Orson floats off into sunset. <laughs> Ouch. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and there's that weird throwaway line about, you know, one of the plot points is the assassination attempt, which we kind of forget about. Yeah. They've railroaded well, and we this. we don't even know who it is. Well, he's a contractor. He's a builder. That's all we I know. We don't know why he was killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't know anything about him. No. Yeah, and... uh They've been accusing this guy, Sanchez, who was sleeping with the guy's daughter. And the whole thing seems to be, oh, you know, this is another example of Quinlan's racism. He just picked this guy because he's Mexican and he's sleeping yeah. with a white woman. And then the district attorney or whoever, lawyer man, at the end says, huh, and you know what? It turned out he was guilty after all because he confessed. Yeah. Like, first of all, people, if using those old techniques... People will confess to just about anything under yeah. interrogation. That confessions can be recanted and don't really mean anything anymore. And second, it, that sort of undercuts that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to leave that for the wrap up, but I, uh. I, it was sort of like, well, you're basically saying as a crooked cop because he he frames the wrong person and innocent people go to jail. Except this time when he was right. Yeah. Now, does that mean that even though he planted evidence in the past, he was right those times? We don't even know. So, And we don't even really know if Sanchez is guilty. We can't tell. It, you see yeah. that somebody put a bomb in this guy's car in the opening scene of the film. And again, the opening scene is very cool, and you're waiting for the bomb to go off, and who's it going to take out with it? And I think it's actually very cool. Yeah. But it could be anybody except yeah. Quinlan. It can't be Quinlan. <laughs> no. no way. The bomb wasn't so, large enough. Yeah. So I... I don't know. I didn't understand that part. But, uh, hey, we've got a couple of talking points we, yeah. we can talk about. Sure. Would this movie have been better or even work in color? Oh. I'm not sure. This is one of the few ones we've seen where I'm I'm not sure. I, I don't think it would have worked as well in color, especially with all the close-ups. People would have looked even worse. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know. What do you think? I'm going to go with no. I think that this is meant to be a very noir film. I think that the grittiness is really magnified by the texture and the... I mean, you could have done a close-up of Orson Welles and showed splotchy skin, too. 
but that might have felt like it was overdoing it. Uh, I think right. we, yeah. and I think downtown Venice or San Robles looks plenty terrible on its own. Um, I don't know that the color would have added anything. Most of the film, not all of it, but most of the, well, half the film takes place at night. And I think that that is shot to its best. I think that it looks really, really nice black and white, not so much gray. Great use of shadow at night. During the day, it's another black and white film. I don't think yeah. there's anything particularly interesting during the day. But that's to be understood. So I would say no. I don't think this film would work as well in color. And I, we haven't asked this of other films, but this one, I think, because we're both uh, maybe... It's, it's probably a surprise how we feel about this film, but as it's somewhat problematic, what do you think about a remake? Do you think this film could be remade and no, work? No, I, I really no? don't think so. Not unless you made massive revisions to the script. Well, removing the racism would be my first choice. That would be part of it, yeah. Act, casting actual Mexicans to play Mexicans. Well, does does it even have? Well, I guess there has to be a. Well, does it have to be a border? It helps. Why could it just because be- it is t- part of it is the tension between jurisdictions and the fact that it really is an international incident. Mm. I think Let's that do does it with matter. Canada. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, you can, you got no jurisdiction here, eh? Yeah, oh, but get uh, out! I totally do, eh? I no way, Ozer. <laughs> Sorry, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the evils of Canada. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure. Oh, yeah, they blew that guy up. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. To me, this film feels like a film that is lucky it narrowly escaped some sort of 80s remake. You know what I mean? Uh, like, oh, let's take a classic film that, that we can do better. They have done that an awful lot. Yeah, like It's a Wonderful Life. With, uh, wasn't uh, who was it? Wayne Rogers and uh, Marlene? Uh, Marlo um, Thomas. Marlo Thomas. Yes, that was one of many. <laughs> Yeah, so I I think you could get the right director, and you know who I think could do it? Who? Eggers from last week. I bet he could oh. make a really interesting version of this film. Huh, the guy who did Lighthouse. Yep. Huh, that would be interesting to see. I'd probably want to shoot myself after it, but that would be interesting <laughs> to see. Well, of course, the, the cast would be narrowed down to two people. Yeah, that would be it. that's it. <laughs> and just be just spend the whole movie Quinlan. trying to... All time. <laughs> they just try to spend the whole time proving each other one's guilty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not fair. I've only and seen ma- one of his films. And masturbating. But, uh, yeah. <sighs> but, I, you know, I somebody like that, I think, could do a really interesting, interesting. job. Um, there's somebody else. Who did, uh, who did L.A. Confidential? Oh, I do not remember. Is that David Lynch? I don't think so. There wasn't enough dancing. But David Lynch could do a very interesting version of this film. Yeah, that would be another one I would I would probably admire and never want to see again as long as I lived. So I would say I, for that question, which I just pulled out of nowhere, I would say possibly if you had the right maybe, director, maybe. I think you could. I think there are directors out there now. Someday I'd really love to see do it because I would have no idea what to expect. Would be and of course now that I want to say his name, I've forgotten it. Uh, Budapest Hotel. Oh, Wes Anderson? Wes Anderson's Touch what? of Evil. Wouldn't oh, that God. be interesting? <laughs> it, Wes Anderson doesn't do film noir. But he could. It and it be, would be quirky yeah, and fun. It would be incredibly quirky. Yeah, Quinlan <laughs> would be played by, what, Tilda Swinton? And Wouldn't you see that? V- yes, I would. <laughs> Vargas would be, I don't know, Bill Murray. Oh, Bob Balaban no. would be in there somewhere. As long as, long as Var- no, no, Bill Murray would play Quinlan. 
Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. He would yeah. play Quinlan. Yeah. I, e, Ethan sure. Hawke could play Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> or Adrian Brody. Yeah. See? It works fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we should hey, probably hey, Mr. get to Mr. Anderson, that. if you're out there, you're welcome. <laughs> but we should probably get to yeah, that point where we, we wrap should. up this little show. The finish. So, Max, Yo. when was the first time you saw Touch of Evil? Where did I the saw... doll touch you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you on the doll, yeah. Uh, the, the, that shampoo with that little touch of evil. Um, <laughs> I saw it in a movie marathon. I saw it on, VH, on uh, VHS mm. uh, probably in the 80s or 90s. Yeah? Do you remember what you thought of it then? I remember, I thought, mostly I was just awestruck by seeing Marlena Dietrich and Orson Welles together. Yeah. But I remember being kind of confused and not remembering what happened. Well, to be fair, it was at a marathon, so if yeah. it was late at night, that might get blur- blurry. What, what about you? Well, 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 wait. Have you seen yeah. it since then? Nope. That was the last time until until yesterday. Until yesterday. Yep. And what do you, what do you think of it now? I don't know. It's very uneven. There are parts I really like. I wish the whole movie had been Orson Welles and Marlena Dietrich because their scenes together are so cool. Just the. You know they've got this whole history. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, even he, he says, I used to come around here a lot, or I used to like, you know, the chili or what have you. But you know there's more to it. It's not just like, oh, this is where he would come to get drunk and have sex. And the way she looks at him with this both contempt, sorrow, and pity, and some affection. It's like, okay, what what did he do to make her feel that way about him? How did he make her like him at all? Because yeah. the, the, the version we see is completely unlikable. Yes. But a lot of the rest of it is like, this is really confusing. And I'm sorry, Charlton Heston to me <laughs> always, never mind that he should not have been cast as a Mexican. Charlton Heston always looks like he has not removed his bowels in six months. <laughs> He looks so constipated and everything. He has done one performance that I thought was impressive, and it's it's in one scene, and that is in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet when he plays the leader of the traveling players, and he does the Hecuba monologue, and he nails it, and he looks relaxed. And all I can figure is beforehand... You know, Brannock slipped him about two pounds of X-lax. That's the only <laughs> thing I can figure. Or he had jaw-unclenching surgery. I, I was going to ask you if you'd ever seen Heston in a performance you liked. The only performance I know of Heston's that I like is the um, opening narration to Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's not bad. And he's okay in Wayne's World. Actually, it's, is it Wayne's World or Wayne's World 2? Must be 2. When... Uh, Wayne pulls into a gas station to ask directions, and the clerk does this really bad performance, and he looks at the camera and goes, sorry, can we get a better actor? I mean, I know this is a small part, and they take the old guy out, and they bring in Charlton Heston. Oh. And he does okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never, I actually really enjoy his performance in Ten Commandments, because it is one of my favorite comedy films ever. <laughs> It's like, yes, ah, more scenery to chew on. Like, and Yul Brynner is there going, no, that is my scenery to chew on. It's just everybody in that film. It's like, okay, now to be fair, what is his name? Edward G. Robinson (laughs) is Jewish. Yes. 
But he's not generally, that's not the kind of part you expect yeah, to see. Yeah, I'm going to take over from this Moses guy, see? Yeah. This yeah, Moses guy's a bug, see? <laughs> Moses, Moses, Moses. Um, I, except for the fact anyway, that it's three yes. and a half hours long. Yeah. I, yeah. Used to, and I am not a religious person, and I used, used to watch that film because it just makes me laugh. It is, and that, yeah. and to be fair, a confused young man that I was, there was something about Yule Brynner that <laughs> really, yeah, walking around without a shirt, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so your your final tally on this film is, I, eh, I if you're a completist, if you if you're an Orson Welles fan, if you're a big fan of film noir, I would see it. I find it very confusing. I, mm. I don't think it hangs together terribly well, and I think a couple of the performances kind of knock the legs out from under it. I think Wells does a really good job. I really think Quinlan's a fascinating character, but too much is happening, and it happens too fast. This is all happening like over a day and a half, I think. Yeah. yeah it almost I, feels like we're watching it in real time, honestly. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> what about you? What, did, have you ever seen this? No, I have not. Never, uh, this was I, your first time. Well, and here's the weird thing. As much as I love movies and I actually respect Orson Welles, before this, I had seen one Orson Welles film. I had seen oh. Citizen Kane, and that's okay. it. Like, I've never seen Magnificent Ambersons. I've never yes. seen this. I've never seen um, Othello. Is that what? Yeah, yeah, I never saw his version of Othello. Yep, yep. And I was looking forward to it because it's like, hey, it's an Orson Welles film. And I, like yourself, was confused. It actually feels, and again, I I'd like to see that other cut, but it feels choppy, but not part of it's the direction. You can tell these weird close-ups, close-up to close-up, 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 and then these pullbacks and these long shots, and you never really know where you are because you go inside and you suddenly forget where you are. Like you, Yeah, what building are are we in now? Are we in the hotel? Are we in a bar? What? And why is Janet Lee 50 miles out of town? Like, I don't understand why that makes no sense to me. That and whole, the whole sequence with Janet Lee and the bikers, that's when, when you said this was a B movie. Yeah. That's when it really feels like it. It feels like one of those ju- juvenile delinquency movies. Blackboard jungle. Yeah. yeah you know, the, uh, uh, the violent years. Look Any at them of run those, just like rabbits. Look at them shoot, shoot just like just professional like, marksmen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It felt a lot. It did. It felt less like an Orson Welles movie and more like one of those. It's like, okay, where's Mamie Van Doren? She should be showing up about now. <laughs> Both of her. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I actually do like the style. I just don't think it. Would, and this is going to be weird me saying this. I don't think it was used very well. Huh. Some of the cinematography, that opening shot, for example, is a great way to open the film. Yeah. It draws you in. Oh, we see a it bomb does. planted. What's going to happen? We're watching it. They don't cut away. This is interesting. Okay, cool. The characters just don't make any sense. Janet Lee's character, tough, except when she's not. Brilliant, except when she's stupid. Charlton Heston, Mexican, except he's not. Mm. Never that bright. I, I just we, The motivations don't make any sense. Quinlan... Orson Welles, when he staggers into a scene, takes over the scene. Let's just face it. And to be fair, most yeah. of the people, except for Dietrich, can't really stand up to the no, presence that is he Wells. really dominates wherever he is, except with her. And he doesn't speak clearly all the time either. And yeah. he runs over other people's lines because that's part of his style, which, you know, okay. Yeah, it, I, it felt very Robert Altman. It did. 
as a, I would say, I'm in total agreement with you as a completist. If you want somebody who wants to see what all the hubbub's about, bub, then you <laughs> might want to take a look at uh, Touch of Evil. I would recommend if you have access to the 1998 cut, so supposed director's cut, because we didn't get to see that, take a look at that and see what you feel, feel based on that one, supposedly that's being fairer to the film. But uh, not my favorite black and white movie ever, and certainly no. not my favorite Orson Welles film. I do have to say there are two things, there are two lines in there I liked, and one is written on a sign. Mm-hmm. When Vargas is using a phone in this store where the storekeeper is blind... Nothing's really ever made. There's a sign behind him that says, if you are mean enough to steal from the blind, help oh, yourself. Yeah. Like, All right, that's clever. Yeah. And, and the, the other line I like is Vargas's line. It's a throwaway, but it's painfully apt, especially and even today, when Quinlan is yelling at him that, why do you want to make my job harder? He says, a policeman's job is only easy in a police state. Mm. Like, wow, 60-odd years later, and uh, that still is something a lot of police people might want to hear. Yeah, see, I had two quotes from the film that I uh, made note of. One of was, you should lay off those candy bars. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the other one was the ending quote, and it was by Marlena Dietrich's character, and she said, he was some kind of man. Really? Again, like Max said, I'd love to know how, because yeah, yeah, the whole film is taking him down. We don't see that. Yeah, we we have people tell us that, but we don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to say two basically no votes. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, film history slash Orson Welles. Yeah, two sort of, you know, eh, maybe could go either way. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. are going to watch it, try and find the 1998 director's yeah. cut, because it may be better, we don't know. But yeah. but we do have that yeah, poll question. Yeah, that poll question, we want question. To tell, us what it, tell us what uh, it is, won't you? Well, it's directly related, because this week we would like to know Orson Welles, yay or nay? When it all, all the votes come in, when all the evidence has been looked at, do you approve of Orson Welles as a director or an actor or both, or not so much? And you should let us know the usual ways. Hey, email us directly, and that's us at MaxMikeMovies.com. You can go to our website, MaxMikeMovies.com, leave a comment, give us an idea for a show, give us an idea for a poll question. Max uh, Max got out of that one last week. <laughs> uh, you could also just say whether you agree with us or don't agree with us. Either way, we love to hear from you, and occasionally our uh, listeners actually talk to each other, which is even cooler. Yeah. You can find us on the social media, meaning Facebook, where we are, of course, Max Mike Movies. And, of course, if you have a podcast app of your choice, we're probably there as, uh, well, Max Mike Movies. Oh, yeah. And if if you found something other than Twitter and uh, you think we should be out there, let us know, would you? Yeah. Where do you hang out? We'd We'd love to come bother you wherever that is. Yeah. But uh, we still got two films to go, and the next yep. one's your choice, Max. Max, what are we going to watch? I hope it's something nice and gritty and dark and no, lots it of is masturbation. Not. I, it. No, <laughs> this has been such a pots. Does it this have has been pots? such a grim, dark <laughs> series? Are you we're going to do black and white, but we're going to oh, okay. do something funny. It's funny. Yeah. Yep. We're going to do some like it hot with Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon and Marilyn Monroe. So are we going to final an- finally answer the question, who some is? I want to know who some is. I hope so. Is. I think that that's, yeah, who are the some that like it hot? And who, what are the others like if they don't like it hot? They like it cold. They like it lukewarm. Oh, they like it Buffy searing. Buffy and Hildegard. Yeah, could be. We'll ask Buffy and Hildegard. <laughs> so next week, join, join us. us where we find out who the some is in Some Like It Hot.
This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.